The following is a message by Dr. Stephen Baugh of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Thank you that we may fulfill this psalm, O oh Lord. I look at my brothers and sisters and myself here today and see that indeed the first fruits of all the people of the earth have drawn near to you and now fulfill our joy by being with us and blessing us as we ask. Help us to understand your word and to show that devotion to you that is uh, certainly a fitting gratitude for the mercy that you've shown us in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. I have a lot of reading to do. We're going to be working, uh, well, this isn't really work, this is devotions. This is fun and edifying. Uh, so we'll be working in Exodus, start with Exodus 19. Our focus will be on Exodus 24. We're working on a, a series through Exodus, and I will remind you, as Professor Estelle said last week, this is devotions, not a sermon, so don't use this as a sample of how a sermon should be. So Exodus 19, I'll be reading through verse 14 to give us some context. Hear the word of the Lord. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on that third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. 
So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. Now we turn to Exodus 24, a passage we'll look at a little more carefully. As this covenant inauguration reaches its ratifying stage, hear further the word. Exodus 24, 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Indeed, we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. And then our last passage is Exodus 32, 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this man Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of God abides forever. Well, as mentioned, this is a little different. This is really devotions, not a sermon. And so I I would like to begin our few minutes remaining by not telling you what I think about Exodus 24, but read somebody else just for fun. I thought you might want to hear an interpretation from someone else before we give our own reflections. Now, this is in a foreign language, and I have fiddled with the translation a little bit. So let me read this, and it will help illumine, because it does mention Exodus 24 in the passage that I'm reading this this author. 
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the most holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works so that we may render priestly service to the living God. It is for this reason that he is the mediator of the new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where there is a covenant, it is necessary to offer up the death of the covenant maker, as it were. For a covenant is valid on the basis of dead sacrificial corpses, since it is not in force as long as a covenant maker symbolically lives. Therefore, not even the former covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, obviously, I read to you from Hebrews 9. It was somebody later than Exodus. But he is, he is obviously interpreting Exodus 24 for us, isn't he? He refers to it. And he's building a case that has Exodus 24 at the heart of it. Now, there are other questions in here that we just won't deal with. People deal with this all the time when they deal with Hebrews. For example, sprinkling the book is not mentioned in Exodus 24. But I want to ignore that in our brief devotion time. Instead, I want you to see that in Hebrews, he sees the blood purifying the people. He sees that blood that Moses sprinkled on the people as giving purification. And he's obviously rightly interpreting what's happening in Exodus 24. Furthermore, this blood forms the basis for covenant inauguration, as he says. You see, he's building the case that when Christ died and offered his blood for his people, that was as covenant inaugurator and mediator. Therefore, he says, because he offered himself blameless, because his blood was offered, it was the inauguration of the new covenant and he is the mediator of it. And then third, this blood is the basis of cleansing because it is in the Exodus 24 symbolically atoning. And this is what Hebrews says. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, because Christ offered his blood as an eternal atonement. But the blood of bulls and goats can't do that, could only offer limited uh, purification, 
purification of the flesh, he says, earlier in chapter 9. So there's, in Hebrews, a recognition of movement in redemptive history that we all obviously see. In particular, this is how you understand that passage in Hebrews 7 when he says, the law was weak and useless. He doesn't mean the Ten Commandments have no relevance today. That's the furthest thing from his thought, his mind. He is saying that those sacrifices that the law uh, regulated themselves, disconnected from Christ, have no inherent value. It's like inventing a sacrament today. You know, imagine somebody who comes to your church and says, by the way, Let's have this as a sacrament. And it has nothing to do with, you know, Christ's command or the scripture command. (laughs) It's just out of the blue. It's disconnected from Christ. You can't have a sacrament disconnected from Christ. But the atonement of Christ makes that old covenant, uh, covenant of grace administration, symbolized in Exodus 24, have meaning and value. Now, let's go ahead and look at that passage now. Notice I spent most of my time in the New Testament. Kind of tricky. Let's look at Exodus 24 now. First of all, I want you to notice that God is taking an initiative in this whole thing. Exodus 24.1, then he, the Lord, said to Moses. And he directs Moses in every way. So this is a covenant that the Lord is making with his people. That's the foundation of this action. When Moses sprinkles the blood on the people, he says, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord is making with you. And the word for making is not confirming the covenant. Some people interpret this as a covenant confirmation event. Indeed, it is the covenant ratification event. It is in that verse 8, Moses took the blood, threw it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you. It's karat. It is the cutting of the covenant. Here is the covenant being ratified. Now, It doesn't begin in this episode. It really begins in 19. So this is kind of the conclusion to a long covenant making. That's how you should take this and what that reference is. And that's very important because this is a covenant that is very complex. And here it is, all the complexity is interwoven in the passage. We only have time really to deal with one aspect of that. One that Hebrews has brought out, and I'd like to stress it, and that is we have here symbols of the covenant of grace being enacted again. This is a a demonstration that the Mosaic covenant is indeed, among other things, but here in particular, an administration of the covenant of grace is symbolized by the fact that when uh, the commandment of the Lord Uh, comes and Moses responds by appointing young men to offer burnt offerings and peace offerings. Two kinds of offerings. The first one symbolizes the offering for sin and atonement. You burn the animal completely, destroying the animal, 
so that it symbolizes the complete eradication of the sinner who is symbolically represented by the animal. And then peace offering, usually uh, in there are different ways, different kinds of peace offerings, but the, the point of a peace offering is communion with the Lord. The atonement has been made, and then you have communion with the Lord. And this, this is obviously represented here that the 70 elders, it's not, you know, mysterious. 70 is a number of perfection. The 70 elders gathered together representing the people go up into the Lord's presence and they eat and drink with him and they're not destroyed. They have been cleansed by the blood of the covenant. They can approach the Lord now and have full communion with him because of the cleansing of that blood. That's what Hebrews emphasized and that's what is represented here so clearly. But I want you to see who's involved here. That's why I read those other passages. It's interesting they offer oxen as the sacrifices in Exodus 24. And then they make a golden ox. It's interesting that Israel has seen oxen die as a sacrifice to the Lord, and then they make an ox to worship. That's interesting. Who is it that's invited up along with Moses and the 70? Aaron, the one who made the golden calf. And who's the other two? Well, two of his sons. He had four sons. And they are all four of them appointed priests. But only two are invited. The older ones, apparently, Nadab and Abihu or Abihu. Well, they aren't mentioned as part of the golden calf episode, but you know who those guys are, Nadab and Abihu, offer strange fire in Leviticus 10, and they are destroyed. They are consumed by fire. So Aaron, who's going to make the golden calf, Nadab and Abihu are going to break the commandment of God in the priestly sacrifice and be consumed and die for it are cleansed and invited into the presence of God, and they're not stricken. You see, this is about grace and forgiveness. This is about the cleansing blood of the covenant that is cut with Israel. They take upon themselves the burden to keep the commandment, but the Lord knows that they cannot keep the commandment. Neither Aaron nor his two sons will keep the commandment, and their a violation of these commandments is so obvious and so impending, and yet he specifically invites them to commune with him, just like you and me. If you think that you are privileged to enter the presence of God because of who you are somehow, read this text again and who is involved with it. People who will violate the covenant every day cleansed by the blood of the covenant alone, not from their works. So you see, this is about forgiveness. I don't know the eternal state of those two priestly sons of Aaron. We can't say because the scripture doesn't say. But if they had genuine faith in the promised atoning sacrifice to come, Jesus Christ, through those sacraments, 
uh, given there, they will live forever because they would have cleansing of conscience and removal of all the guilt of their sins, every single one of them, no matter how heinous, just like you and me. So this is quite an interesting covenant ceremony. It has a lot of things interwoven in here because you also see that there's, it's not complete because you keep reading and you see that it did not remove the heart of stone from these people. That was waiting a savior to come who would cleanse conscience that we may be free to serve the living God. That's Hebrews 9.15. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the word of God which is sure and certain. Indeed, your word, your truth is ever sure. Pray, O Lord, that we may live it in our lives, lives of gratitude and keeping of your covenant promises and of your covenant demands upon us because they were bought with a price and we are now free to live before you as sons and daughters set free to love you and love our neighbors ourselves. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.